you know, like Hollywood, for example, you know, has made us really um, uh, partial to these narratives that are black and white, good versus bad, right? Yeah, get this the guy's bad, bad guy. and this guy's good. Yeah. Right. But when you're looking at nation states or some of these other actors, there's a lot of gray area and a lot of power as it functions today is transnational. It's not exclusive to any one government, right? You have the rise of the multinational corporation. And then going back to what I said about Samuel Pisar and the trans ideological corporation, there's been a particular faction of very powerful business people going back decades that wanted to create a block of corporations more powerful than the nation state. And I mean, I think that has definitely happened when you look at um, the tentacles of, you know, giant asset managers like BlackRock all over the world or, um, you know, Blackstone and all of these other entities. You know, I think it's pretty clear that um, capital and power uh, have transnational flows and it's very hard to say, you know, it's exclusive to this group and exclusive uh, to that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot more complex than we've been led to believe. And I think a lot of people like the easy, simple story. So we can all yeah. say this is the one bad guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what people need to realize is that the system is completely rigged and it's corrupt and it's time, like you said earlier, to get local and, and start, you know, building some sort of parallel system because the only way to starve the existing system is to stop using it. And we have to figure out how to do that. And we have to do that relatively quickly. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. My name is Andy Libson. I'm a teacher here in Oakland and a socialist. And again, we're joined by Kenny Zepeda, who is lives in the Central Valley and is also a socialist. Um, we are online at whatsleftpodcast.com. Uh, you can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode. Um, and as you can see, we do not have Eduardo here again today. Um, we we know we've promised him back each week, but uh, he's definitely, you know, kind of going through some things in Colombia to to make sure he can stay in Colombia. So it's kind of stressful, um, and he's really just dealing with some of the immigration stuff that comes up for people who travel outside of their country. Um, as much as I guess Aunt Anna Lucas, the woman is that the woman we interviewed, who said that mm -hmm. a, a U.S. passport is like a walk in the park anywhere you want to go. That's not always true. Um, so, um, you know, and, and Eduardo's coming up against that in Colombia. Um, anyway, uh, Kenny, you, you and I are here today, and I guess we're going to be doing kind of a part two in relationship to our last episode, um, or rather, we're going to be discussing some things that came up for you in another d discussion. Last week's episode was Jimmy Dore interviewing Whitney Webb, and we talked about where do we agree with Whitney Webb and where do we not? really using that interview as a basis for trying to interrogating our own views about things, um, about how what's really happening in the world today. Um, and I guess we're, today we're looking at an interview that came up with between uh, Kim Iverson and who interviewed Rick Whitney Webb. The title of the episode is uh, three, The Three Pillars of Power, Whitney Webb on Intelligence, Organized Crime, and Corporate Power. Um, and I think the central question that was taken up was like, who's behind this? Um, and then they went from there. It was an interesting interview. So you said 
you sent it to me, to me right after we had done the last episode saying there's some really interesting stuff here. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I, it definitely uh, provoked something in me because uh, uh, by the time I sent it to the group, uh, I had only seen the first six minutes, which is, you know, the first 10 minutes or so is the most interesting part of it um, for me. Because, uh, uh, there is the question, right, of how does power work? How does, you know, this system work uh, that Kim Iverson throws, right? Uh, you know, and she starts with posing some options, you know, whether is there someone, like a person or an individual or a, or a small group of individuals, like behind the web, you know, and or how is it that, you know, uh, Basically, the world works, and and I think uh, Whitney tries to answer, you know, from her point of view. And I think, like, on the surface, it might seem that we might agree on some stuff, but I think there are some fundamental assumptions uh, in, in her answer to, you know, how power works. Um, and you know, for me, um, uh, what was, again, the, the title of the of the episode talks about these three called institutions, right? Like. Uh, intelligence, uh, what is it? Organized crime and corporate power, right? And 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 for for starters, for me, they're not different. You know, it's just the sum. Like corporate power is is uh, hidden behind a web of legality and the protection of you know doing things uh, on the surface, right? Versus organized crime, and and I do agree with her that they, they these things are meshed together. Um, but I, I have a problem with. Um, going through the connections, you know, uh, and it was something that I struggled with when we listened to Alison McDowell, when we, when, you know, we talked about how this person is linked to that person and that person is linked to that person. Because to me, it, it, that almost like obscures how the entire system works. Uh, and, and how is it that, uh, in my view, replacing a person is not going to change anything. Or, you know, just calling, uh, or, or again, an implicit assumption I think that Whitney makes is that um, the system uh, is being corrupted, <laughs> that it's gone bad, you know, like the political, the, for example, the voting system in the U.S., that it, somewhere along the line, it just deviated because there is bad characters, right? And there's also something that you brought up in the last show that that also leads us on the road to like talking about individual policies or individual solutions. Um, and I just want to start there, you know, because that's what kind of brought, you know, got me thinking that I think I disagree with this premise that uh, the system has been corrupted. I do think there is an intensification of some processes that are happening, but I I, I would disagree with her on that. Yeah. And and just to just to say that when she brings up organized crime, intelligence, and corporate power, that is she wrote she's written two books now that really try to trace out that almost hundred year history of how organized crime became more connected to how it, how it is connected and maybe became more connected to the CIA and intelligence, um, and then goes on. In later, when I I've only read part of the beginning book, uh, which talks about, which more emphasizes how intelligence is, was developing ties to organized crime, 
Um, so this is this is a, a major area of work for her, you know, and like she's written, like we said, two books about it and articles about it. Um, and I, it's clear that she does see these the, these institutions in play. I found it difficult to read that book, to be honest. I was telling Jake Kleisick about this because uh, he he writes for Unlimited Hangout and knows Whitney Webb. And I was just like, man, I, I love her work and I like her articles. But I found that book difficult to read because although she's talking about institutions, she she just talks about name after name after like individuals. And and I just found it very difficult. It was like it was like being at a party where I didn't know anyone. And just all these names are getting dropped over and over again. And then that person's name comes back up again. And you're supposed to remember that that person was connected to that institution. And I, I really struggled to make to make sense. And I, I found myself getting bored by what I was reading, even though I'm interested in the when she when I've heard interviews of her talk about this stuff, it's very interesting to me because it does match what, like you said, what I would say the world is like. Because the, there's there's no difference between what is called organized crime and corporations. Corporations are organized criminals. They're the, they're the biggest criminals. They do the most theft of, of people's wages, of people's, they steal from people daily. And we're not just about corporate crime. I mean, literally, but wages are theft. So it, it, to say that what you, what you have is essentially a set of legal criminals calling another set of people criminals and they're both criminals. They're all they're all crooks. Um, and the only thing you can say is that the folks who are often called organized crime are sometimes independent of the system. But what Whitney Webb is pointing out is, no, they are not. They are wrapped in it. And I actually think her that they're not independent. Like I think she's right that they are just as as embedded within it. Um, and uh, and and what she was kind of trying to use is sort of like talking about Jeffrey Epstein as not like some sort of. Um, some sort of anomaly, like the system is blackmail and, and intrigue of this sort is a piece of how the system holds itself together. Um, as people basically use information they have on you to force you to do things they want you to do. Um, and, and organized crime takes, takes the form in many ways of generating funds for institutions in an, in an, in another way so that they can do things off the books. Um, and so it's, it's like the Iran, Iran Contra scandal kind of thing where the, the CIA was trying to figure out how do they fund the Nicar, the, the Contras. Contras were in El Salvador or Nicaragua? Nicaragua. Nicaragua, yeah. How do they fund the Contras without taking any money from U.S. coffers? So, you know, so that kind of thing. And organized crime off, operated in that way. So I think her work is valuable, but I do find it. Like, I don't, I think it's more important to talk about how institutions relate to each other than to talk about all these different individuals. And to Whitney Webb's, I guess, credit, I'm not sure, it's not, this is not about Whitney Webb, we're, we're using this as a, just a, because we both respect her work and respect her ideas. I think that's why we like using her way of looking at it as to, to, to say, well, how do we look at it? Um, but when Kim Iverson said she was trying to hope to see who was behind this, Whitney Webb didn't say, well, you're never going to find the person behind it because it's not about an individual. But at the same time, she also didn't say, well, here are the people, you know, she, she just said it's complicated. And that again, I don't find this, I don't find that a sufficient answer. I think it's, I think the answer is 
you will never, if you are, if you look at people, you will never find the answer for what's really going on because what you're looking at is institutions and how institutions work and what are their interests. And you're looking at classes really when it comes down to it, I would say, you know, of course, Marxist, but that's, you're looking at class interests and how they're playing out and what institutions are behind one set of class interests. And if we're talking about building an alternative, what, it, what, class is behind these alternative institutions that are built, you know, um, cause she does mention alternative. So, um, I just want to, I, I'm not sure if that was a ramble, <laughs> but no, I just want to say, yeah. I think that's a very important point that, you know, to, to look at the institutions, right. Rather than individuals, because I too get lost in, in disconnected and just, you know, it's hard to follow. <laughs> And, but once I look at, for example, like organized crime, you know, whether it's a cartel or the mob and, you know, how they interact with, uh, you know, the state, the official, the, the legal, right? Like the, the validated authority, um, the wielders of uh, coercive legal violence, right? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, again, like they are in bed, they are connected. And at times I feel like, these institutions have been at odds with each other. They're not, you know, always uh, acting, pushing the same way. They are levers of power. Uh, you know, that's how I see it. And that at times they have been aware. And, and they also like, people wanna get to the table or these institutions get to the table of how power is wielded uh, through different means and methods, right? Like obviously you have the old, um, oligarchs, you know, the Hearst, the, the Rockefellers, you know, the, you know, the families that, you know, whose last names, you know, uh, but then you have the Al Capones, right, and, and, and the people who come through other means and ask and, and push the door in, into, you know, the table, because there, there is other ways of exerting power in, in society rather than just, uh, you know, like, uh, through the government, you know, there is, like you said, you know, there is extortion, even though, you know, some of the things that are labeled deemed, deemed legal is extortion, but under the the, 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 the facade of legality. Yeah. Um, but my point being is that, or for example, take the tech industry, right? They, they, they themselves kind of push uh, and carved out a, 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 a level of, of space at the table to to lever and, and drive the world, you know, and and so I do think they're not they do have a class interest. They're not all always in agreement, you know, as to how to proceed forward. And that's why, again, you know, it doesn't matter if you remove an individual, if you remove a, a Donald Trump or a Joe Biden uh, or you know a Hoover, right? Uh, who who was a mobster too, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk, you know, and because the, the institution perdures and continues, right? Um, and they do uh, synthesize to form this thing, you know, this this uh, this class that the rules everyone. And um, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I do think they understand how power, you know, works. Uh, you know, in, in in to each in their own you know sphere of of influence, and so. But again, it's not useful. Like I don't care if Biden wins. I don't care if Trump wins. I don't care who's you know if uh, Lloyd Austin, a black man, is <laughs> fucking you know Secretary of Defense, right? Uh, 
uh, it's still the same because the institution is doing the, the, the thing that it's supposed to do to keep a seat at the table. So I think you and I agree on that. And that to me is one of the, one of the areas where we would differ in terms of what, how we would look at things. But I, the other thing that Whitney Webb said was that, that these, that corporations and the intelligence and, um, and organized crime were now forming like a, uh, um, what's it called? Not a, a cartel, a kind okay, of a cartel, okay. um, a cartel that was actually operating at a, at a level that was transnational and was actually, you know, kind of like um, pushing, aside, pushing aside the state. Um, and that, in, in some ways, when she spoke about a pro the problem is like she spoke, spoke as the state interest no longer being active. Now we have these transnational interests that are that are building and, and growing. Um, and I wonder what you make of that, like, because she wasn't going to say to Kim Iverson, oh, it's this person or that person. You can't do it that way. And so she didn't, uh, even though I think the nature of that kind of work where you give this name and that name and that name, it tends to get people to say, well, who are the people that we're looking for? Um, and Whitney Webb is like, well, there's no people per se. But then what she is saying is that these that these organi specific organizations, corporations combined with organized crime, combined with the intelligence is actually starting to, to to create a kind of a transnational global web, like she mentioned BlackRock and Blackstone, and saying that these are the actual, maybe that would be the institution of power and things like that. And so what do you make of that? How would you assess? Because that's where I think, do think she, she, she did kind of, if she, I'm not going to say clear about that, but that was something where she said, no, this is how it's working. I mean, I, I do think there is a process, right? Like a global process that's um, has happened. Um, you know, I think that Marxism has some answers to that. You know, in terms of trying to analyze what has happened, right? In terms of like the consolidation of power, right? And that that is sort of like how is that corruption of the system? It's just how the system works itself, you know, to be in. Uh, to me, in, you know, in my view that um, in, you know, th th there is, uh, I think, uh, but I mean, that collaboration, I don't know how far back we're looking, <laughs> because I think, like, at least in modern history, they've always been together. <laughs> like, you know, and let's look back into the 1900s. To me, you know, these institutions have, you know, danced with each other in and colluded and synthesized uh, in one way or another. And so, you know, when it comes to like institutions like BlackRock who manage, you know, the, the financial system, right? Like they have uh, tons of assets into this system that we think is linked to the real economy, which, you know, it's huge questions and, and in my way it's not, you know, it's, they don't produce shit in reality. They do have the ability in this system to, to wield people to do things. Um, and, and they still need those other institutions to get shit done. <laughs> you know, like they need the, the legal system, right? Like uh, the state in order to execute some of their, uh, you know, their wills, their will. Uh, they also need illicit, you know, activity, quote unquote, illicit, or like, you know, bending someone's arm. Uh, they should look at the death of environmentalists, uh, 
all over the world, you know, in the third world, you know, they're, they're always dying because they're competing against some corporation uh, or they're, they're posing a threat to some corporation. And so, but I do think the system itself is in crisis, you know, and, and it's becoming more evident uh, in, in terms of, you know, things that we talked about in the last episode. Um, and I, I guess Fabio Vigi is where like provides some sort of, you know, picture for me in terms of why, you know, there is multinational efforts to kind of consolidate uh, some sort of new form of governing in in in, in hurting people in, in, in different ways. I don't know if that's uh, that that would be my comes to mind. It, I mean, that I think that's clear. I think you you might agree with Whitney Webb more than I do um, on that because this is an area where I think people have an illusion that somehow the state is being pushed aside or the state like that these corporations are breaking out of the like a like a like a chrysalis breaking out of its cocoon kind of thing um and that they're they're shattering the state and becoming bigger than the state like black black rock bigger than bigger than the state i i think that illusion happened in prior to world war 1 where they you had larger corporations that had had holdings not just in the United States, but in Germany and in Russia and in Europe, and they made investments in in the enemy. And at times, there were differences within U.S. capitalism about with with capitalists who were supporting the the enemy that they're going after. And some times in Germany, and Ford is a famous one who was like, you know, he wanted he wanted to go with Hitler because he thought they would fight the Bolsheviks more, uh, more like would be more a, a better bulwark against Bolshevism than than others, you know, um, but but here's the question: In some ways, will BlackRock stop World War III from happening? You know, and they won't. Like BlackRock is going to have to choose a side ultimately. Like the institution of BlackRock, in my opinion, is not running this country. They're not running this globe. The I would say the globe is still run by the capitalist class, organized in na- in under in under nation states. And yes, they have multinational corporations that allow them to grab resources in their colonial holdings, and then sometimes link themselves in places where U.S. That's why people were like, "Well, U.S. has all this money in China." Yes, because at one point they thought that they were going to get over on China, and it looks like China is getting over on them. And now things, the worm is turning, and now now it's about tariffs and doing essentially economic acts of war, which were the same precursors to World War One. Same sorts of things about raising trade barriers and that kind of stuff were the same sorts of things that were that were that were the were the uh, the beginning bell of indicating that the big global capitals that were organized into nation states were going to fight that internationalism was going to end in national fighting and nationalist fighting um, and when that happens BlackRock's going to have to pick a side BlackRock's going to have to decide if it's if it's China, if it's if it's if its home base is China, or if its home base is the West. Personally, I think it's going to link itself to the West, and it will. And it, and and because I do believe the West is going to be defeated, I think we're going to we're going to see BlackRock not be the big thing that we all think it is. And I think the the, I mean, I don't think we get out of World War III alive, or rather, in any meaningful way, the world will be completely different, in my opinion. But if one can do the thought experiment. 
I think China and Russia are are are, are in the the seat of being the victor, um, and in, and then in the and in the same way the U.S. was the victor coming out of World War II, and it will be institutions that come out of that state that are going to be multinational and Belt and Road Initiative and Russia building up all sorts of pipelines everywhere, um, and that's that's what the world would look like in a post-U.S. It will be. China, it would be hegemony of the of the China Russia axis, and, and and they themselves would start to conflict. I think after times, but that's neither here nor there. I'm saying that I think I don't. I think states still are the defining feature of capitalism because they define the identity of the working class that are that are exploited at home by that by that local capitalist class, and it's the basis by which they put those workers under one flag. Um, and it establishes the borders that say this is what this is what our property is, and th- this is this is the the base from which we accumulate profits, and then we extend ourselves beyond those borders if we are a particular type, if particularly if we're an empire, um, and then there's you know big empires like the United States and sub empires like Iran, um, and we will we will find ourselves using our capital beyond our border. In ways that make it so that we can accumulate more capital, can accumulate more resources, um, make sure that we are a power center, and also keep other power centers out of those regions. And that's that's what they will do. Um, and so, that fundamentally, I disagree with the notion that transnational corporations are some sort of again new development of capitalism, and that they are going to be uh, the 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 new feature that runs it. I think. There were there were similar illusions that were had, even among socialists back in World War One, where they thought of this notion of hyper imperialism, where all the capitals would essentially unify into one, and they would run the globe like a giant monopoly. And that that is that's I think Whitney Webb's vision, and I think this is a vision that's common among people who are critical of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I think they have this belief that the end game for our enemy is one big octopus giant cartel controlling the globe and we are we are in a prison planet underneath that and I, I i that's not how that's not what in my opinion what's going to happen this is going to end in competition and it's going to end in violent competition and so i, I don't and, and violent violent state competition you know defined by states and people are going to have to and institutions are going to have to choose sides when the when when the missiles start flying and when the troops start m- marching it's not a question. You won't be able to to play both sides forever. You know, I don't think that um, you know, like BlackRock, is running things. Uh, I do think that in this particular time of the financial system, they do have a lot of sway. But that's what I say that this, they still need the state to execute, you know, and, and validate them, and because the state wills, you know, <laughs> control and violence, right? Because I mean, look at uh, the thing uh, that uh, Putin gets accused of, right? Like, or or the prince of uh, Saudi Arabia, right? Like, yeah, you can have all the fucking money you, you think you have, but if you don't have the state behind you, this is why Nancy Pelosi is more powerful than fucking Bill Gates, you know, and, and Elon Musk, you know, and, and, and there's, she's untouchable. She's about to die and she's fucking untouchable. You know, like uh, I do see, like you, that the state is ultimately the the the, the central player. Um, 
that are going to come into head. You know, we agree on that. We've talked about that in previous episodes that, you know, in the state, right, is what, what uh, is, represents the ruling class. You know, and that state is going to do the beating of the ruling class. And so, and, and, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, BlackRock does have some influence, but, and there is people, and there is like, I think that's what we knew, what I was trying to point out, that there is connections and embeddedness, right? And there are things that overlap, you know, there's people that overlap interests, but when like the borders are, are, are strictly enforced, right, in a world war situation, and, you know, uh, it becomes a material, <laughs> you know, uh, act of exerting power, then, you know, BlackRock is obsolete. And yeah, you know, they have money everywhere. They're, they're hedging their bets everywhere, <laughs> you know, that, that they can. But assuming that the system survives, right, in, in some capacity, and, and, and that's where I question, you know, like, whether... This CBDC thing, right? Like Whitney Webb brought it up, is a threat to that institution of the financial system, right? Like, because if it is centralized, right? And, and I don't know, I'm still thinking through it, but, but I do wonder if it's a threat because I do, that's what I was, you know, and I think similarly to Jeff asking that question, are we moving to a new system? I mean, the, the system is changing, evolving in some way. And so, but it does come back to, who wills the 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 ability to have the coercive apparatus, right? Whether it be like the threat of legal action, the threat of calling you, an, you know, uh, a terrorist, the uh, a, a, you know, a person that has uh, the wrong kind of thinking and thoughts, you know, uh, uh, an enemy of the, the state. The state is, you know, the powerful player here, because uh, if you don't have the force behind you, like you know, Bill Gates can go to jail. You know, if he doesn't play by the rules of, of, of the state, you know, he will be called, uh, uh, he, or he will be exposed, you know, by the things that are he's being beholden to, right? Uh, because I, I do think this is how these people are staying in, the, in, the, in that system, because in order to get there, you have to do, get your hands dirty, right? This is how Kamala Harris got to be the vice president of the United States. This is how Biden got to be the president. And on that note, too, like Biden's psychological state, right, like a mental, a mental state also demonstrate that there is an institution that governs. It's not the fucking president of the United States. You know, he's just a fucking puppet, you know, going and trying to speak. But, you know, the, the institution functions without him. And but again, I do agree with you. The state is ultimately what is going to play out. Uh, the Worst case scenario, you know, which is global war in, in, I don't know if it will necessarily be like a sudden death or a, a death by a thousand cuts, you know, like, uh, you know, with a lot of proxy wars that will intensify. And so, yeah, I mean, again, this debate that exists among people who are fighting for freedom around the nature of the state. The co most common thing you hear from them is how state interests are being subordinated to international interests and to globalist interests and to things like that. And and implied behind that is that somehow we've got to get back to some earlier place when the state was, if you will, there to protect us. That 
that period of time never existed. The state has always been a, a tool of power and violence, violence for the capitalist class, violence against the working class, violence against working class in its home state. So if you're in the United States, it's not just violent to Mexico and it's not just violent to South America or violent to the Philippines or violent to China or violent to Germany. It is first and foremost violent to its own people. Um, and one of the pieces of evidence of that is the fact, you know, like this is small, but like Pearl Harbor was a setup, right? We will, we will kill our own soldiers. We will destroy our own stuff in order to create the opportunity for us to go to war so that, so that the capital, U.S. capitalists can put themselves in a position at the right time and place so that they will be the global hegemons coming out of World War II, which is what, which is what they hope to do. And secondly, you know, we will, we will annihilate, you know, hundreds of thousands of Japanese so that Russia gets the right idea. Because again, the reason I believe the using of the nuclear bomb had nothing to do with ending the war. It was an object lesson to its future competitors that you don't fuck with us. We're the, we're the big power. This is what we can do. So they were just testing out their shit on the Japanese to show to the Russians and to the Soviet Union, you know, you know, bow to us essentially. Um, and uh, so it, it was really the the first, it was the beginning, you know, destroying Hiroshima and Nagasaki, in my opinion, was the U.S. state saying, we're starting, we're starting our Cold War now with a new, with a, just coming out of fighting Germany. We're, we're now we're going to fight a so-called ally, you know, Soviet Union, which was an ally in that war. Um, so I think, I think that there is a lot, that misunderstanding about the nature of the state is again, why people also come back to defending borders because though you want, you, we want to eliminate that state, you know, and I, people are going to hear under that globalism and like that, but that state is the power that is, that is one of the major forms of capitalist power that they use to, to keep us under control. So that state has to be eliminated. And if you defend a border, you are empowering that state. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we need a borderless world. One of the reasons why I I welcome other fellow workers cross any whatever border, because I don't believe those borders should exist, because those borders exist to control us and, 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 and either imprison us or to control our, our, our movement. Um, and so again, that that area is one of the, another area where often we're, me and you and, and Eduardo are in the minority among people who are saying they're fighting for freedom because they, they want to keep those borders. And for the same, in the same way that I think that the state is, is truly a power center of capitalism, you know, and, and one that's, that's going to dominate um, in terms of how, how capitalism will play out. Um, the the border is a, is a, is one of those things that has to go, um, and I I suspect it is also one of the reasons why people go to saying that even the notion of a of a war of a, of a war extending and a war getting to the point where nukes are flying and it's pretty much not it's not going to be a very survivable world. I think people will survive, but it's a completely different. It's like essentially civilization is destroyed. Um, as we know it, um, I think there are people who think that's not going to happen because they do think that there's a there's this overarching control controller, whether it be like an institution like BlackRock and things like that, which that just won't let it get to that point. Um, and that's again another area where I disagree. Um, 
there is a, a question I have. So, I mean, we're putting a lot of emphasis on the state, right? And, yeah. and so if the state is the biggest player, right, like the, the or, or it, it wields a, a lot of power, right, in, in, in this, why, why is it a capitalist system? Does that question make sense? Um, no, can you ask it again? So if if the state, not the financial institutions, right, because it is the one who wields the power in, in this, uh, in the world we live in, and they're not necessarily the same. Well, like, how would you explain that? Well, first off, that's one of the tricks of capitalism is they keep separate the political, their political realm and their economic realm are kept separate. Um, obviously, if the fundamental feature of capitalism is its economic wing, is is its is the, it's a system um, around which uh, production is organized around profit making. Um, now, on that wing, we understand that's a dictatorship. The boss can hire and fire you. Okay, workers can try to organize for like rights, but uh, the economic wing is a clear dictatorship. You know that people talk about freedom, and they well, generally what libertarians are talking about is the freedom of the corporations to move around and exploit. Um, so, yes, capitalism doesn't just exist in the political world, which the political organization of capitalism is organized around states, in in, in my opinion. Um, it's but it is an economic system, and so. The state is still superstructure to a fundamental relationship of capitalists exploiting workers across the globe. That, but it takes the form of political organ. Uh, its primary political organization is organized around nation states. Um, that's I guess how I put it. Um, and those two things work well together by the fact that they're kind of kept separate from one another um, and. You know, they're they're not really separate. Well, the way you organize, the, how you organize society is connected to how you produce goods. But in this in this regard, that's a I think a kind of a a feature of capitalism is that they are kept as separate spheres. Um, I do think it would be wrong for people to assume that like these things weren't determined by states. The states emerged, nation states emerged out of the development of capitalism, but they are the they to me they they are going to be the political features, the political institutions that we are going to see take, like take on more and more meaningful um, form in terms of how how the world plays out, um, and it's why, like, it's why Russia to said it it's going to go to war because it basically the, one state said we are going to not just. We're going to create an actual alliance with another state, Ukraine, and we're going to put that into NATO, and we're going to potentially put defense weapons there, which really are just possible missiles right on the border up there. And they know they're enemies. These are state enemies at this point, com capitalist competitors. And so Russia was like, you can't do this. And if you do it, we're going to go to war, just like U.S. did around Cuba. So that... but. Why is this happening? It's happening. And why are, because increasingly profits are, the, 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 the rate of profit is falling. That's the economic thing that's happening. But that's meaning that it, the state institutions are having to be wielded more and more to make sure that 
for their local capitalists, the world is free for them to exploit. Um, and that is now the, the beginning of the competition we're going to see that I think is going to take more and more. That competition is ultimately going to be decisive in, I, I believe, how this thing plays out, uh, which is why I do think it ends. If it doesn't end in revolution, meaning we get rid of the capitalist system by some act of workers, then it does end in in in, in World War Three. And I think that um, just to maybe try to add to this, at least idea, especially I think in the Western world, um, that this the private institutions, right, like businesses and the state are like completely separate entities, right? Like is uh, it's, it's a facade that's kept up, you know, but it's becoming more evident if you dig enough that they're not, right? Like we talked about censorship in like social media, right? And, and there's been some evidence, I guess, or that the state was exerting a lot of, you know, influence on how to get that done, right? But, but, but you know, it, it helps. And so I guess if we believe everything that we are told about China and Russia, right? Like they have gotten to that road, you know, or they don't, they don't have that facade, you know, that facade is less, uh, you know, less, less intense. Whereas we were still pretending like, uh, you know, we're not going to censor it's, uh, it's Twitter or X, whatever. Uh, they're, they're choosing to do that, to regulate, you know, thought, uh, you know, we're not gonna, um, force, uh, this is Whitney Webb's argument on the past episode. We're not going to force, um, central bank digital currency banks are going to do it, you know? And so using the independence of the businesses or institutions, um, to pretend that the state is not behind that, right? That exertion of, of regulating its population. Yeah, yes. Uh, but I will say that, and one thing people think, this is why people call China socialist, is because it's seemingly state-run industries. Um, it's why they thought of the former Soviet Union as socialist, whereas I would not. I would say that what you had was capital accumulation, surplus value extracted from its workers with, with, but by state run industries, you know? So because they were competing and they were still competing for profits with the United States because it was the accumulation of those profits that they would use to invest and then have money to, to get more resources wherever they were trying to get them and, and, and compete for market share wherever they were trying to compete for market share. Um, so there is a, there is a global market because capitalism is global, and uh, so whether whether you have state capitalism as it is in is in China or former Soviet Union or not, you still have play you still have centers from which uh, capital or the surplus value exploitation is surplus value is being extracted from workers or exploitation of workers are still occurring and the battle is who can exploit exploit your own working class and accumulate the most capital to which to then invest it and then produce more capital and more growth for yourself it's a grow game um and it's a game of monopoly um a game of monopoly and risk i guess i guess to put together um you said one other thing about 
whether or not there would be central bank digital currency and whether that would represent a threat to the system. I don't, I actually think it's a, a very necessary step towards even greater exploitation of your own population. Um, so whether it takes the form of central bank digital currency, I do think programmable money and digital currency is going to be a, fu a future feature of our economy. It already is in China. It already is in Russia. It's, it's already in India. The U.S. is going to have to follow that same course. Will it, will it be central bank run? I don't know. I think Jeff sent us an article about the idea there could be a global, a global currency. I don't see that happening. I, I Again, I think people people have this notion that things like the World Economic Forum are places where the whole globe, the, all the global elite get together and make decisions. And you can see now, it's not true. Russia ain't there. And the Russia is not showing up for a reason. Because Zelensky's there and, and the United States is there. The World Economic Forum is a Western thing, right? China shows up, but just pretty much shows up to keep its finger in, you know, in their pie, you know, but they have no illusions that the World Economic Forum is their institution. The World Economic Forum is 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 a is a feature of Western control, which is now coming apart as NATO and Europe and the United States are exposed as not nearly as powerful as many of us thought, and a new power center is building. And so I think the Shanghai Cooperation Organization is going to be much more of, of a feature of the future um, and BRICS um, than than what we see from these old institutions, which were never global. They were always pushed. There was always state agents behind them pushing a, a, a global agenda uh, that was actually really an act of imperialism by, a, by particular states. Um, so I guess that's what I would say. And I do think though digital currency is, is a very important part of how of, of control for the state and how you are going to, like you said, organize, try to try to tame the business cycle in your economy by just not just controlling pr production, but controlling cons consumption. So it's going to be a feature of attempting to control the beast of the business cycle, which is really just the tendency of capitalism to have intermittent crisis. And so they think they can solve that. They cannot. It will not be solved. And in fact, it like well, it will it will extend that crisis. It's going to make that crisis deeper, um, and so that that's why I think as the crisis gets deeper, you've got to go to much more aggressive things to get yourself to recover profits. And that's why that's why I'm convinced we're headed towards calamity and not global warming calamity. Not well, I do think that geoengineering is is bad, but I think the one that's right right in our face right now is is spreading war. And we're not, you know, I don't, I don't think we're talking about, in my opinion, definitely within what I hope to be just my lifetime, you know, because I still think 2030 to me is, is like, when I think about the time frame for this, I think between 2030 and 2050, something's going to give between that, like somewhere within there, it ain't going to, someone's going to have to go down. And, and if somebody goes down, I think nukes have to be used. And it's going to be the United States going down. That's what it looks like. They're going to lose, and they're going to—they're going to—they're the ones who are going to use the nukes or set up the situation where they're able to use their nuclear weapons. That's—that's that's what it looks like to me. So this brings me up to, you know, 
maybe another area of disagreement uh, with uh, Whitney Webb in terms of, you know, in this this question came up right like before, uh, like what do we do? And yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah. And also, um, you know, because Whitney Webb talked about divesting, and you know, and honestly, that that sort of language is kind of triggering me because it brings up like liberal thought on problem solving uh, you know uh, and basically reforming a system versus understanding that the the will needs to be broken can uh, i can i start with what i thought she said cuz i want to see if you agree cuz i felt like i agreed with her on some of those things which was interesting cuz part of me was like i disagree with her a lot of her analysis but i agree with a feature of her. So maybe let me let me say what I think she said. And then you tell me what you think about that. And then let's can we go from there? Because the biggest thing she kept on talking about, and she did not talk about kind of people have to take personal responsibility and we have to get out of Amazon and get out of the big corporations like that. But she also mentioned building alternative structures, building alternative institutions. I don't know if she used the word institution. But alternative structures, building all, you know, um, and I don't disagree with that. Like, I think at least in the in the short term, that to me feels true. Now, is she saying an alternative to capitalism? I don't think so. But I think, and this is where I would say that for me, if you're if you're knowing that we have to build an alternative, whether you think that's an alternative to capitalism or an alternative to this given system, but still you think you're in favor of capitalism. I personally think that we, that I have an ally in this fight right now, because that to me is the most important feature of what needs to be done is get getting out of the system. Now, Whitney Webb still thinks that possibly Bitcoin can be worked within and things like that. So clearly we have differences about how much, how much really we have to get at how, deep we have to get away from their system but i found in her saying yes you just said go local but i found in her saying we have to build an alternative to this system that to me is almost enough and i and i then i would say yeah i don't i don't think it's about personal responsibility and and we we won't be able to divest from them unless we have something we can invest in or rather we can build because it's not about an investment. It's about building. It's about humans constructing something for humans. Um, and, and and there's a problem because increasingly I my Marxism would say the working class, but I, I'm not really using those terms these days in some ways. You know, I kind of do as almost a holdover. Um, if, if it is capitalism and if Marx is right about capitalism, then it it is something that where the working class is going to have to put feature as a central role in the reorganization of society, building new working class institutions. I agree with that, but for me, Whitney Webb says kind of, I don't think she's probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking, but for me, that's enough. I guess I'll put it that way. That's why I wanted to start because I found, okay, she at least sees we've got to build some alternative. I don't think she's thinking the same thing as I am, but I don't even know exactly know what the alternative. All I can say is 
it it has to get rid of profit system. It has to get rid of production on the basis of accumulating capital. I, you know, and so this is the thing that I wonder, um, you know, so I see that there is two parts to that answer that she gave. And I, I do, I do think there is, you know, same, I, I don't, the whole divest and stuff, like, that's why I, I say that that triggers something in me that I'm like, I don't think you fully understand the problem. Um, but yes, you know, having something parallel, but this is where I question, you know, and this is because remember when you told me that you talked, you, you talked about your family and going to your fam your mother's, um, you know, rent or whatever place yeah. and you come in together, but you said that that would be, that's the last thing, like, <laughs> because at that point you think it's game over. Yeah. That, that's not an alternative. Why not? That's not an alternative. That's just living. That's just staying alive in a dis in in a situation where capitalism has destroyed the globe, and I just want to live, and I want to live with some with my loved ones, you know, with some sense of believing, like, of, I love these people. The earth is wonderful. Life <clears> is a <throat> gift. Okay, I'm not just going to give that gift up just because the fucking the system. Number one, the system destroyed our civilization, and two, the working class fucking didn't have the revolution that it needed to have. And, and fucking got fooled again because that's you know that's what happened right that's why it goes down is mm. the, the the revolutionary class does not does not seize its moment um and so me going to columbia missouri with my family you know and you know i'll take i'll take you and your family and tell we'll all go there but my doing that is not that's not parallel society that's just staying alive we that that's already a wrap parallel society is me and brandy staying here and working with people and trying to figure out what do we do to like you know build something around us with our neighbors or things like that and we haven't really been able to get a grip on that uh parallel society is something you do with thousands and thousands of people and ultimately it's going to be done by millions and even billions of people building building their own parallels in their own in their own areas and then those things linking up when they need to or not um, I think the biggest area they link up in is in the need to ultimately fight a civil war to throw off their the rulers who are trying to destroy that parallel society that you all have individually constructed and you come together to, to fight the battle of defending your own stuff and removing those institutions who see a threat to your your rising up. It's dual power. Like there's one institution, there's a capitalist institution, there's work institu worker class institution. They can't exist forever. Either you're going to have a revolution in which the working class institutions dominate, or you will have a situation where they will crush you and the old system continues and carries on in whatever way it can. Uh, that's why I still think that what Lenin said in 1912, 1914, it's we must turn imperial war into civil war. Civil war is not to me a dirty word like the throwing it around. Oh, civil war in the United States. Civil war is something we should welcome because civil war is going to be the, a feature of, of keeping the institutions that we are building alive when they're threatened by our class enemies. It's just, I'm, I'm processing, you know, because I think that was a, a, 
an important clarification, right? Because this notion of just going into the woods and like just having your own community and shutting everything else out versus like kind of building your own society because you're not going anywhere you're saying this so you're trying to build it with the people around you right into because th that's what i was again wrestling with in because for example in san francisco at one point when the pandemic whatever bullshit was going down um we community organizers were distributing food through donations of other people to people who needed it and um but we didn't have spaces to work and there were empty buildings in the mission. And I made the proposition to take over a building, you know, and, and, and kind of say, fuck you, real estate, fuck you, state city. You know, we're running this shit, you know, we're running this thing how we see it fit, but you know, didn't, that didn't have any legs because I think that's more of what you're talking about, you know, saying like, we're running this, we're doing it our way. We rose up from the ground. We, there were leaders that sprung up, you know, in, 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 you know, our, you know, in the trenches, right, every day, you know, and, and, and it makes me wonder, like, if maybe we're not seeing, you know, it far enough, because I do hear, like, sort of echoes of what we're talking about in, in other countries, like, in parts, not in all of it, because, like, in Guatemala, you know, uh, indigenous people were murdered for decades, you know, and you can explore the history of that, but um, they were fighting the imposition of capitalism, you know, the ancient ways to, uh, you know, the imposition of private property, you know, and, and the hundreds of thousands of people died. And to this day, there is parts of the highlands where the most of the indigenous community lives. They survive the Spanish, they survive, you know, uh, the, the, the imposition of capitalism on them in you know, and, and so they, 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 and there are towns, I know there are towns that where, you know, the, the extortion of the cartels, you know, uh, or the extortion of the cops <laughs> or the extortion of the military doesn't work on them because they, they run their, their communities. They actually, and again, say what you say, you know, but, but they lynch cops, they lynch, you know, uh, people who, who are, uh, you know, trying to extort them. And so certain communities are way more peaceful than other parts of the country that are ruled by the supposed cartels, the, you know, in cahoots with the cops in the state. Um, in Mexico, too, there are, you know, communities that have armed themselves in order to protect their communities and, and, and run their communities. And obviously there is an, a question of scalability, right, and how, how much this is spread and, you know, like how sustainable that is for, you know, you know for the pressure that are going to come you know, to try to exist in that. And, and so just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, um, they might be already exercises, uh, you know, you know, the Zapatistas, right? And Eduardo, I think, <laughs> maybe be better at speaking about some of this stuff because he brings it up. And um, it's just a thought that, you know, crosses my mind because obviously we have to deal with uh, our own context, right? And of things and uh but it, it's just something that comes up to me and, yeah. and as, as a possibility to for modeling you know and, and, and you know certain things and you know yeah and protecting the stuff that we're trying to build right yeah. uh and and yeah so I just wanted to share that with you 
Well, I do think that those might be models. The only problem is I have no experience with those models and I don't see anything like that around me. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the form, if it takes on that kind of form here in the United States. I, I, the few things that I think it will require is it will look me and my family and people at my loved ones hide, hiding out in Missouri. That's just a hideout. That's not changing society. That's hiding out after society has been destroyed. Um, but changing society so that all of us can find a place to live in and humanity can go on with some dignity. Um, that is about, you know, networks of people building, people building connections with each other and being willing to be armed, <laughs> um, armed to defend what they have. And then, but, but, but working looking to each other more than looking to the state or, or a corporation or my employer or whatever, but looking more to each other as what, what we need to exist and go and go on forward. And then there will need to probably be tethers between these various organizations of humans to, that are, that are forming that will tie them together because there there's going to need to be a bigger struggle to take on the existing state and the existing system, the existing institutions. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a U.S. version of that. In fact, not, I welcome it. Um, the question of where the working class fi figures in that is, is a question for me. Um, you know, it certainly ain't going to be the unions. You know, uh, Randy Weingarten wrote another article like just this last week about we have to do everything we can to save our democracy by getting Joe Biden elected, you know, which you there. We obviously know Trump and Biden. There's nothing to vote for, blah, blah, blah. But the idea that the Biden administration has been anything other than an escalation in the authoritarian attack on workers in this country and abroad, like, it, it's just absurd. You know, so unions are not going to feature <laughs> into this. But how will organized workers, I suspect organized workers are going to have to defeat their unions. Um, in order to play a role that's more meaningful in the struggle. Um, I think they're going to have to destroy their unions um, and form new associations. Um, but what form that takes, how the working class figures into this, I'm really at a, at a loss. Um, but is, Marxism will say that the key, the linchpin to revolution is the working class and the organizing of the working class. I just and and much of the descriptions we've seen in in those countries where uh, where people are at being independent, I think those would be described almost more like peasants organizing. They're working, but they're working more like independent. They're not collective workers. They're more working more independently, and maybe their collection is to each other in terms of their community. So that, that's been a criticism that Marxism has had of those sorts of struggles and the fact that those struggles are not capable of making a, a broader, ultimately international revolution. I, I have questions, you know, oh, that's all I can say. And I think right now my questions are deeper than what my own belief is because I, like, I believe that capitalism is the problem. I believe that the working class is a revolutionary class. And yet I struggle to to say what what 
what what specific role will workers play in and how will we be central in in making a new world emerge i don't know because most of the things i'm describing in many ways are like are not connected to workplaces they're connected we work maybe but we're organizing in our community centers and things like that in the past i've thought of those things as not really getting the job done and i maybe i still think that because you do have to take down the the, the profit the profit producing center of the capitalist and that and that can be that can only be done by taking down their their workplaces and that is best done by the workers in those places so i mean maybe i'm answering my own question as i speak as i say it but in in stopping their profits workers must build alternative institutions if they don't build alternative institutions and i don't mean unions because unions are defensive organizations alternative institutions are institutions of offense of like of this is what we're going to be about and we're going to defend this and we're we're going to we're no longer going to look to you to organize us we we are organizing ourselves for for ourselves and outside of a profit system workers are going to have to do that and that did happen in the soviet in the soviet union that's what workers councils were um and but i think they also still kept the the organizing of production of the old capitalist system and i have a question about whether that really is what how we would do this is whether you know yes we're all organizing workplaces right now but that's how corp capitalism is organized us. is that how we would really be organized in a revolutionary world i'm not so sure does that make sense when i say that question no, it does. It does. Um, you know, I also think about the, you know, like you mentioned, thousands and thousands of people, and you know, we've talked about previously about the spread of this, right? Like, and time being of the essence, right? Because, you know, we, if you want to build a society that can withstand the, the the reaction, right, of the powers that be, but you're going to have to take control of the material reality that allows you to live, right? And 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 that's not, you know, a little town here and there, you know, and um, because I think that's still somewhat of the difference, right? Like these towns that I mentioned in Mexico or Guatemala, you know, they're, they're in a way reacting to their context, right? And of necessity but they're still linked up to the to the system as a whole and you know they're not necessarily a threat to the entire system um and so it would be a different question right to 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 do what, what, what we're talking about and you know what and i, and I don't know again <laughs> this is what we talk about is what the thing i i absolutely am certain about is that we and this is what I work for, you know, when I come to the show to show that we have to reprogram ourselves, or I don't know if that's the fucking term, you know, the, the unlearn many things. And, you know, one of the important things is that the so-called expert mediators of our lives need to go away. You know, uh, that, you know, because I think back to San Francisco, right, when I was in the thick of it and you know, seeing a possibility and, but the dominant 
current was that we need to work with the city officials to get a place, you know, for us to do our things, you know, and, and, and it saddens me because, you know, there is this uh, nonprofit called like Calle 24 and, you know, that they talk up there all about for people. They were advancing the mask mandates. <laughs> they were like, their their posters were everywhere. And on top of that, during the pandemic, a lot of vendors started selling, uh, you know, a lot of people hustling to try to make a living were selling outside the mission. And, you know, in in they started this project alongside the city to uh, legalize vendors. Mm-hmm. And then what happened months after, they cleaned up everyone. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of those vendors are gone. And, yeah. and again, but understanding this, 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 this fundamental thing that we have to be more skeptical the peop- about the people that have been training the system, you know, uh, th- th- that we're trying to battle. You know, because they are the Trojan horses in my mind. And and we have to understand that whatever we're trying to build has to be independent from all this shit. You know, and, and, and otherwise, you know, it, it, it's gonna go down real quick and, and or it becomes a it becomes a project of someone else, you know. Yeah. Talk to maybe I don't know, maybe that's uh, uh Black Lives Matter and you know, uh even fucking I don't know if Occupy, you know, Tulsa became something else, uh, you know. Uh, so yeah, uh, that to me is like present that we need to understand and empower each other. That everyone has a stake in it, regardless of your level of indoctrination in the system, which some people call education. But um, in you know. Yeah, getting rid of those hierarchies that you know are also implanted in our mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, the other thing I want to say is, I don't think I know what form, like the 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 struggle to build to build something new will take, but I do suspect that some set of workers in China, or in Russia, or in Brazil or in Guatemala, or in France, just like people tried to organize Occupy, it got and it got people excited, and new Occupy centers spread, or the Yellow Vests, when those things started. Um, people wanted to reproduce that, or when the Canadian truckers did what they did, people tried to reproduce that, even if they weren't that successful. Or what you see with farmers, farmers did in the Netherlands, and now they're doing it in Germany. I think, I think once someone makes a breakthrough within the working class in some city uh, and, and does something that excites people there and gets out, I think that will be the, the model that will likely be replicated or attempted to be replicated by workers around the globe. And it won't be because there's going to be international ties between us at that point. It's going to be because we are all under this, there is a global system that's a even if it's even if the world globe is constructed around nation states, there is still one system pressing us, and that is the capitalist system. And it it's going. I do think it's going to produce a solution somewhere. And when that solution or that that key is unlocked somewhere, that that I suspect, I hope, well, I believe that in a very short time, workers can replicate that 
and try to make it work in their place. And we can see whether that's enough to, 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 to take, to maybe not to take them down at that point, but to really get the capitalist shivering and to put us in a place where we actually have more confidence about us running our lives as opposed to our lives being dictated by, by Davos elites or, you know, the Chinese communist party or, you know, Putin and his state, you know, cause all, all workers in, in all across the globe are finding themselves subject to some set of capitalists on um, one way, one way, shape or form. And how do they get out from under that? So that's, that to me is maybe the model for how it will happen. Um, no. I mean, I do, I do think there is like, even like the George Floyd thing, right? Like how it spread, you know, in, 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 because I do think there are pressures that, you know, I, I think people know, like a lot of people understand, you know, outside of like, like the Bay Area, you know, these centers that are very like lost in the sauce of liberal politics, you know, or whatever, even conservative, whatever. But I, I think that most people know, like there's something wrong, you know, in, in and the, that energy is unleashed, you know, and when, you know, there isn't a possibility of an opening. Uh, and then, but it also brings up, right, like, how much the people who are trying to rule us all, right, like, uh, because they have the same interests, uh, they, they are putting so much weight on managing uh, what we see, right, and, 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 and what we understand of the world and and that's what we have to be aware of the other institution right media <laughs> that, that and, and that includes Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and you know even Substack even you know X Twitter whatever um, we've talked about how we have to fundamentally understand that these are not our tools. <laughs> And, and and be weary of that. And to me, these are also those mediators that I'm talking about, the expert mediators, um, you know, and um, that's why it's important to talk to people outside of just us too, right? Like <laughs> to get a, a, a pulse on like, what the fuck is this person thinking? And, you know, and, and seriously considering someone's opinion, not just like dismissing them for whatever stupid ideas that we ourselves have, you know, been yeah. brought to believe um and so yeah like i guess finding our own way of getting information well uh, and i think it's going to be complicated because let's use the china example let's say there are workers in china who who are actually independent who are threatening the chinese state with whatever actions they're doing you know and it's, it's at its beginning is the U.S. going to get involved in that? Damn well, you damn well. They they definitely are going to get involved in that. And then the freedom side will have this question: Is that something we should follow, or is that something that is an act of the U.S. state alone? And that we're going to have to be able to answer that question because if we do something that is threatening to our state, and I hope we do, you damn well know that Russia and China are going to get their fingers into it. Particularly when the the the, the situation because that is likely to happen when the battle for profits is even more pitched when the likelihood of 
of the war escalating is even more pitched. So that Russia and China are going to do anything they can to defeat their enemy. And that's, that's why German money helped, su supplied the Bolsheviks because they were going to help them get into there because they wanted to bring down the Russian Empire. And they felt the Bolsheviks had the best chance of bringing them down. Little did they know that the Bolsheviks would then try to fraternize with their soldiers and their workers to help them, through the common turn, bring down the German government. And they did have a revolution in Germany. It just was ultimately defeated, but it was a near revolution. And the common turn and the Russia, Russian communists played a role in that, played a role in its rise, and unfortunately a role in it not being able to rise to power because it made some mistakes. So this is going to get complicated too. But, I mean, you know. Yeah, like who's making the moves? <laughs> yes. And, you know, and I mean, this is, right, like we've talked about, you know. Oh, I, I got to say one last thing. And, but this is why I think there is also a part on, on our side, freedom side, to tend to dismiss the possibility that humans, that workers can act independently, even if there is other sides getting in there. Because I don't believe they, they, I don't believe they believe in the the revolutionary possibility of humanity and of working class. So they dismiss the possibility of that independence. And that part, I disagree with them on. Like, yes, the capitalist is going to try to get in there for one way, sh way, shape, or form, whether it be to crush it or to amplify it so they can defeat their own enemy. But that doesn't change the fact that there may be something there that has to be replicated and worked from. And honestly, like, to me, this is why these conversations are important, right? Like, to try to, you know, keep the, my mind sharpened, you know, and, and be watchful, right? Like, and even then I'm going to be fooled, but, you know, and, and, but because in order to understand how the world actually works, you know, because they tell us it works in a certain way and we're bombarded with so much bullshit. That you know, again, that that to me, this is what I try to do here: unlearn certain things and, and and try to see that in my life, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, it's complicated. It's not a straight road. Uh, it's not full. Of, it's not devoid of mistakes. Is uh, uh, or traps, right? Um, or you know, it's not peaceful. <laughs> you know and there is a cost to things if you want to change the world and you know i kind of i i generally don't look at the comments <laughs> of, but i did look at just took a peek of the episode you know the last comment yeah and someone brought up the question about how many people are you willing to die you know kill in your revolution and yeah. and then you know and i think of kwame ture you know where he talks about um that there has no, there is no evidence in the history of humanity where progress has been made without this shedding of blood. The the question is whose blood is being shed and for what reason, you know? And like I don't want to change the world because I want to, you know, um, you know, kill people. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't, and and I understand that that. Death, you know, that's not my goal. But I know that the people who want me want to prevent us from creating that world are willing to spare blood. You know, and 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 just like your mother said, right? Like the gardener, 
that just is willing to kill the fucking insects, you know, in order to have beautiful flowers, their fucking flowers. Yeah. You know, I want to have my fucking flowers. Yeah. You know, I want us to have our own garden. Um, George Jackson also, uh, uh, familiar, right? Like he was yeah. In, yeah. From a uh, Soledad brother. He was in the Soledad prison. He was a former Black Panther. Exactly. And he also talked about, you know, like how that question, right? Like violence, revolution is violent. And, uh, you know, that's not the first thing I think of when I think of revolution, you know, and I'm not unaware that that's how the processes of history work, <laughs> you know, um, if, if fundamental changes, you know, see a, uh, because that's what revolution is to me, a fundamental change of the dynamics of how society runs and is played, you know, and, and who rules and for what reason and, you know, all those questions. So he talked about how like there's people dying every day. He says you just may not see it. It, it may be time to invite some you know others to do the dying also, you know because uh, I I don't. That's the other thing right about especially living in the U.S. after having lived abroad, being born abroad, uh, how much we don't see the level of violence that this system produces, the level of death that this system produces, the level of suffering. You know, we are so bombarded with bullshit, like in, in, in propaganda, really, that, you know, hides that away, you know, even within our own country, you know? And so, yeah, you know, this is just, I just wanted to kind of bring that up because it's a question that comes up in over and over. <laughs> Right. And this idea that history can be moved, you know, and systems can be changed without death, it, then I don't think then that there is a good understanding of how history works. Yeah. I mean, just a quick look. Um, a child dies from hunger every 10 seconds. Uh, this is just a quick search. How many die of starvation a year? Poor nutrition and hunger is responsible for the death of 3.1 million children a year. That's children. So we're talking um, every two years, there's a Holocaust of children killed in our system. And it's just sort of a, you know, 6 million dead is a pretty important number, right? It was, it's, it's a number fished out of history from, from a violent event and where violence was perpetrated upon a people. Um, in the context of World War II, as something that should never be repeated, it's repeated every every two years. Easy, like, and it's so. This is the world we live in. I don't know what you want to call it. People want to say that that's not fascism. I don't give a shit. It's capitalism. Capitalism is the most violent thing we live in, and I honestly don't give a shit about fascism anymore. It's, we live under capitalism. That's the thing that's going to be taken on, and 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 it will. And if challenged, it will it will be it will it will show you how violent it is. If challenged, um, if you don't know how violent it is, we will find out, because this system kills three point one million children every year. You know, sentenced to death. Sorry, not enough for you. There's there's enough. We're not giving it to you. We're going to make five billionaires. You know, what are the, they, they said the, there were five billionaires who doubled their wealth in the last four years. 
doubled their wealth in the and, and five billion across the globe who got poorer over the last four years. Okay, that's that's their system, dude. And it didn't just happen; that had to be organized. And so that's what has to be taken on. And when you take it on, those billion those billionaires are not just going to sit there and go like, "Oh, it's all good." We'll share now. No, and it's not about killing them or anything like that. It's just they they have built they have organized their system around violence so it can produce this sort of inequity. So we're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to deal with that lawnmower, the blades whirling around. You know, you're going to we're going to put our fingers in there and try to stop it, and 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 have the world not be a lawnmower of destruction. Well. You're gonna to have to deal with a lawnmower at some point. You know, and like, you know, there's also this constant argument that you gotta be grateful to live in the U.S. You know, because it's not like those other places. And again, I, I don't think you're looking hard enough. You know, and and you know the that violence is not just like shooting someone on the head or dropping a bomb that it, it gets done. You know in other parts of the world and, you know, like when we look at the state of this country, like the, it's fucking madness, you know? <laughs> it, well, and there's a reason we don't have a bunch of yellow vests. People are fucking afraid, afraid here. They're afraid, not just of the state. They're afraid of homelessness. They're afraid of what they see around them, of how, of how the, how poverty, how far you can fall. And they wonder, Unless I fucking do the right thing, I don't want to. There's no safety net. I'm going to fall through it. So, workers are very afraid here. Uh, mm -hmm. And yes, they're afraid of repression, but they're really afraid of poverty. They're afraid of what they see around them. And it's not, they're not look, they don't live in Mexico. They don't live in Sudan. They live here and they're afraid of the poverty they see because they, they are worried that this is where they're going. And they, that's where. So we are all headed in some way, shape, or form into that kind of situation. We're all Palestinians. You know, yeah, and again, if, so I'm being cynical, so we have to be thankful, right, for the 12-hour shifts, six days a week, you know, and not seeing our family or having mental issues, you know, and and being overly medicated and and sedated by, you know, all these social media, you know, addictive injections that they give us, you know, all the, every fucking moment. And we need to be thankful for that until, right, like the, the, the literal, you know, we get closer to those countries that we think we're different than, you know, and because, again, that's what we talk about, these systems, right? That's how what I see that. Yeah. Systems of people management are coming because they're squeezing. <laughs> Five billion people became poor in the last four years. They're squeezing hard. Yeah. And, but we're thankful, thankful because we got a fucking shot and we were sent home, right? Like, and we have online learning and we have internet and other people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll I see. Agree. I think I I do do believe more people are not as they're not as grateful and there's some anger there. But I still wait to see it turned into something here in the United States. So we'll see. All right, Kenny. Um, 
and just to be clear, folks, is I think you, if you've stayed with us this long, obviously we've talked way more than just about whatever Whitney Webb was talking about. Um, but I thank her. I thank Kim Iverson for asking those questions, having that interview. Thank Whitney Webb for having her answers. Um, and we are listening to them in the same way that we hope our audience is listening to us, which is what do I agree with? What do I disagree with? And then let's talk about it. And I think that's the spirit of what we're doing here. Um, and so I do appreciate that she's putting her ideas out there. Um, and I'm going to continue to read her stuff, although I hope we can find the article, <laughs> you know, that because she was talking about an article that she had written, not just her books. Um, that's what Kim Iverson asked her about. So I just want to be clear with people about that. But, but yeah, again, echoing what you're saying, those are important questions, conversations to be had, you know, and, you know, they, they belong in every, you know, house, every living room, uh, you know, we should not wait just for, you know, experts or, or us, like, this is our opinion, right? Like, like you have to do your own shit, like, to figure this out, like, and, and, and bring something into the conversation and, and, you know, like, but yeah, in, in the work that she does, you know, she's not stupid. She's not like, you know, she's not canceled. <laughs> uh, we just have disagreements on some things that I think are important to address. And, you know, again, this is my opinion. And, you know, like, we should all have opinions and yep. speak up. Yep. All right, Kenny, uh, let's wrap up. Thank you again. Thanks for bringing this uh, this other uh, thing, you know, this uh, Kim Iverson, Whitney Webb interview to my attention. So I definitely enjoyed talking with you about it. Um, and hopefully we'll have Eduardo here next week. I'm not even going to say we will because I just don't know. Um, all right. You have him from Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog uh, at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast channel there and connect with us. Um, if you like anything you've heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, or Telegram. Um, and you'd like, if you'd like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest um, for us to cover, please check with us on our blog. At, that's whatsleftpodcast.com. Um, anyway, Kenny, thank you very much. Um, and for everyone else, we hope to see you this or next week. And we'll see what we talk about then. Take care. <laughs>